the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Season Watch with Wendy Scott, where we observe the things coming on the earth through biblical binoculars, because the Bible is both timely and timeless. With her master's degree in rhetoric and writing skills, Wendy is a part-time college professor, but a full-time truth professor. She believes the Word of God is His perfect revelation, including a young earth six-day creation, as well as the global flood inundation, and that Israel is God's chosen nation. Faith alone in Jesus is salvation. The true church rapture comes pre-tribulation, followed by Christ millennial domination and his eternal kingdom with earth's regeneration jesus is coming without hesitation and now here's wendy with today's topic hello friends thank you again for joining me with season watch and of course we'll start in prayer lord just help us to walk with you in your calling and strength you said no one can take us out of your hand help us to stay in your will and keep our eyes on you through all our troubles amen All right, so friends, last time we talked about preparing for spiritual battle, and I want to recommend a series suggested to me. It's Pastor Andrew Brunson's series on spiritual battle and facing persecution. It's called Prepare to Stand, and you could find it at epc.org slash prepare to stand, epc.org slash prepare to stand. And if you remember Andrew Brunson, Brunson uh, spent two years in a Turkish prison, and he shares the things he learned about holding on to faith and persevering under persecution. So I really recommend that. And we all must prepare to stand. And so, friends, fasten your truth belts as today we talk about preparing for spiritual battle. Let no man take your crown. I began this discussion by sharing the spiritual battle I encountered when I went to Jerusalem over Pentecost, and I confess that I was not prepared for this level of the spiritual storm. And there are forces of darkness battling the kingdom of God over spiritual territory and the souls and minds of people. And when we share the gospel, we intrude into the darkness and take that territory for the kingdom of light. But Satan and his princes constantly battle against these intrusions, resisting the loss of his territory. The greater the stronghold on a territory, the higher level the battle. Up until recently, God has taken the greatest territory in America and left Satan kind of on the sidelines with skirmishes that he would take here and there. But now he's gaining the most ground and his battle is over the soul of America and he seems to be winning. The true followers of Jesus are in his crosshairs and there are less and less soldiers in God's army So those of us who endeavor to keep up the work will bear more of the frontline attack. And so we must know and train with our weapons of spiritual warfare so that we can be effective to still do the work and stand in the day of battle. Remember how Nehemiah instructed those returning to Jerusalem who were under constant assault by the enemy as they tried to rebuild the wall. Um, there were very few returning from Jerusalem, from uh, to Jerusalem from captivity. Although many could have come, many, many more could have come. Only a remnant came back, and their their lives of those who refused were probably too comfortable 
in enemy territory. Let us not get too comfortable in enemy territory. Um, And so the assignment of rebuilding the wall fell to those few who had answered the call, but they were deeply disorganized, discouraged, as the enemy all around kept them uh, by disrupting their work at all hours with sabotage and -and hit-and-run attacks and multiple fronts, like circling hyenas. And that's how Satan is. He knows how to circle. He doesn't even like a frontal attack most of the time. He likes to nip us at our heels. And that's what they were doing as they tried to, this remnant tried to rebuild the whole wall around Jerusalem. But Nehemiah knew he'd heard from the Lord to build the wall and to be faithful to do it, even in adversity, when the remnant was few and weak. And that's us. So he instructed them, looking at Nehemiah 4, verses 7 through 23, we see, Now it happened when the enemies of Israel heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored, they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families, with their swords, with their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Then he gave instructions on how to do this. And so those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was near me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. So whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, trumpet, rally to us here. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and working party by day. So neither I nor my brethren, my servants, or the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing." And so we see three important concepts here. First of all, the enemy was disruptive and unpredictable, though he had little strength. It wasn't a big army, but he hit, uh, he used hit and run tactics to frustrate and stop the work, and it confused them. And another point, Nehemiah reminded them the promises of the Lord, and he confidently claimed the Lord will fight for us so that the people would rest in that trust and set their minds to the work. And then three, they made a plan to set a watch, to sound the alarm, to rally for help, and to carry their weapons as they did the work, watching over each other, working with one hand and holding their weapons with the other. And they did not quit day and night until the work was accomplished. And so one other noble characteristic that is that Nehemiah wisely appointed a family to work on the section of the wall right by their homes. So every worker was responsible for that territory right in front of them. And as each family did their own part, the wall was finished. And we're each called to a section of the wall, and we must prepare for the spiritual battle that will frustrate the work. Remember, we are in this together, one spirit, one spirit in it together. 
And when we don't do our part, the whole work is vulnerable, right? You can't have you can you can't have a big gaping hole in the wall and everybody else the wall is good, right? Everybody has to do their part. And we only have to trust the Lord and continue to do our part, watching and praying for our fellow workers. For as we strengthen each other, we strengthen ourselves. And God oversees all the work, but it's his battle, not ours. We must hold fast to our calling and trust him to do the fighting. And that's what our spiritual weapons are for. Jesus said in John 9, for I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. There is a day coming when no man can work because the darkness will be great. And that day is the coming tribulation. We must do our part while it is still day to take territory for the kingdom of God and save souls before we go. And last time I warned about the pressures of the last days as Jesus warned the church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3. And that letter is to the last faithful church, the last day's church, the one that will be raptured. And I hope you are in this church that is going to be raptured. So Jesus commended them for very specific things, which I believe are the characteristics of the true church in the last days, starting chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. And no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which is to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. That's the, that's the tribulation. But then he adds a warning in verse 11, and this is what we want to look at. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no man may take your crown. And as I said last time, I always was unsure what this meant. I'm a Christian. I am in Jesus's hands. How can a man take my crown? He certainly can't take my salvation. So it must be a crown of reward. And for the first time while I was in Israel, after all the things that I'd seen and experienced, God showed me what this means. A human can take our crown when Satan uses him to wound us so grievously that we cannot get past it. We drop out. We are mortally wounded, and because of this, we leave our calling. And these are the wounds that I believe a man can cause us to have and to surrender our crown. And so here's here's the wounds. I'm sure there's more, but God showed me there's a wound of shame, a wound of fear, a wound of offense, which is a wound of pride or a wound of injustice, right? A wound of discouragement and a wound of doubt. So these wounds cause us to drop out of the fight. That's how Satan takes out the true believer. And so how do we uh, defend against these wounds? Let's read again our spiritual armor in Ephesians 6. We love this, right? Again, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's tricky. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Do you believe that? Do you understand that's happening all around us right now? 
This is not fable. This is not hyperbole. This is the word of God. And he's giving us a, a mystery and insight, and we must take it to heart. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's now. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, girded, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That's part of our responsibility. We must pray for others. Verse 19, And for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Remember, he's writing this from jail, and he's saying, help me Pray that I'm bold, even in jail. He's not taken out. He could take himself out. He could say, oh, God, I didn't expect to be in jail. Now what? Maybe you don't love me. Maybe you're not on my side. Maybe there's no God. You know how we head trip. No. He said, oh, God's got an assignment for me here. Pray that I'm bold, right? Because we need prayer to hold us up, to make us bold. We need to feel and sense the Spirit is one among us and get support from each other. So we know that Satan attacks our minds. That is the first front. Now, many of us have mentally gone through the process of putting on the helmet of salvation. I have people tell me, oh, I put on my uh, armor of God this morning. And I love that. That's great. And um, which could be resting in our salvation. Okay, so we have the helmet of salvation. So we rest in our salvation so that it protects us from the head trips from Satan, right? We also know that the shield of faith um uh, is against other attacks like illness or losing our job or disappointment, any fiery setback or even fearful threat. The shield of faith is Jesus uh, defending us from grievous wounds that we cannot recover from, right? And we know that the belt of truth holds all our armor together. We know that Jesus's righteousness uh, that we wear as a breastplate is not our own righteousness, and we rely on it. According to Psalm 73, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So we do fail, but our hope and our salvation and standing with God is not based on our performance, but on Jesus's. So we can rest in him and be restored, just as Peter was after betraying the Lord. And then he was made kind of the head of the church. And we know that our commission is to spread the gospel and to make disciples of every nation. So we walk in peace, not in aggression. And this assignment of peace are the shoes that we walk in. But this list of armor is useless by itself. Why? Because to know what our helmet is, what our shield is, what our breastplate is, what the truth is, what our commission is, we must first of all know the word of God. This makes these weapons effective. And friends, American Christians are so deficient in knowing the word. As I explained last time, we know that our most powerful weapons against the enemy um, are these things because the enemy is always attacking them, right? Remember, Christians and Jews on the Temple Mount are forbidden from these three things, praying, reading the Bible, and worship. So remember, Muslims can do it, but Christians and Jews can't. And so that is what the enemy fears. And these are the weapons of our warfare to spiritually build our faith, our understanding, and to tear down strongholds, to speak light in the darkness, to save those who are walking in death, to take territory for God's kingdom. That's what we're called to do. 
and we must prepare for the spiritual attack against these things. Remember what Jesus warned to the faithful church of Philadelphia. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. And Jesus is warning us how the enemy attacks the true believer to derail us from our assignment. And as I said, I believe that the wounds that a man can cause us to surrender our crown is a wound of shame, a wound of fear, a wound of offense, which is the wound of pride or a wound of injustice, a wound of discouragement, a wound of doubt. And so we see that the armor of God does not protect us from physical attacks, but from attacks to our mind. It helps us hold fast in our mind when these things come against us and want to set us back. And friends, we must remember that around the world, Christians are horrifically persecuted, and they have been ever since Jesus' day. Jesus said we would suffer persecution. And so the armor is to help us stand and carry out his commission, his assignments to each of us in spite of the attacks, in spite of the persecution, not to take away the persecution, although he does at times. And in America, we're so weak, we let mere words derail us. As Hebrews 12.4 says, you have not yet resisted unto blood. So whatever level we are not prepared for, that's where the enemy will attack. Remember the warning in 1 Peter 5, uh, starting in verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you've suffered a while, perfect establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever. Amen. Amen. His is the dominion. And so the enemy will attack us through human ages to keep us from using these weapons. Look at it doesn't say we won't be persecuted. Peter's praying for them to grow through the persecution, to be perfected, to be strengthened, right? And um, and the the human agents come along to persecute us to try to knock us out of our assignments and from advancing the kingdom. And he will keep attacking to search for vulnerabilities. And so Jesus warned to hold fast so not to lose our crown. And so first of all, the question is, which crown? No man can take my salvation, but there are many crowns. And so after looking at them, I believe that this could be the crown of glory or rejoicing, which Paul talks about as those who he has brought to the faith and the crown of glory for faithful leaders that Peter describes. So we see this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20, and Philippians 4, 1. And here Paul describes his crown of glory as those brought to faith through his preaching the gospel, right? Are you not my re- crown of rejoicing, my crown of glory? So that's the people brought to faith and they're his crown. And so in First Peter 5, 1 through 4, describes a crown of glory through faithful leadership. And so those who are leading faithfully the flock and leading ministries faithfully also receive a crown of glory. And then in 1 Corinthians nine twenty five through 27, Paul describes the same crown for preaching the gospel, but then he expresses a desire not to be disqualified, right? So he wants to run his race and not be disqualified. And so we see this principle that 
um, that you can be. Satan can take you out and disqualify you. We've known it. We've seen ministries that were hot, and then all of a sudden they're taken out for some indiscretion or some revelation or something. And Satan is always trying at the edges to try to take us out and to disqualify us. And so if it's a crown um, of of leadership and a crown of of moving forward the gospel, then we could lose that crown if we allow ourselves to be taken out. And so um, we see what Jesus told to Philadelphia in Revelation 3 again. He says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. You've kept my word and not denied my name. And so the, the faithful church does not compromise on the word of God. And holds fast to Jesus, the one true God and the only way to salvation. And to them, to this faithful church, he sets before them an open door. And so we know from other verses in the Bible that the open door is an opportunity for effectiveness in spreading the gospel and for taking territory for the kingdom. And so it seems that the risk of losing our crown is the risk of getting taken out by a wound to the mind that keeps us from going through the open door and spreading the work of salvation um, to others before he takes us in the rapture, right? Which he promised in verse 10. Verse 10, he says, because you have kept my command to persevere, right? He says you have a little strength in spite of that. You've kept my command to persevere. I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to try those who dwell on the earth. And we know this is uh, this is the tribulation. This is the tribulation spoken of since Old Testament times, all the way to the New Testament, that the tribulation will try the whole earth. And so those who are faithful now to do the work in a little strength as the world seems to be winding down and turning away from Christianity and its influence— those who persevere will have an opportunity to be uh, taken out. Um, and so we must recognize that there is a very real spiritual warfare raging over spiritual territories, hearts and minds, and prepare not to let Satan's wounds sideline the work. And again, we must train against the wounds that can sideline our work and cause us to surrender our crown. And think about it, a wound of shame, nothing like shame, to cause us to draw back. I've known many people who I've seen their ministries diminish because they were ashamed. And Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He constantly barrages us and attacks us with, with things that we have done or that we perceive are unforgivable or where we drop the ball, anything that creates shame. And so there's a wound of fear, which, of course, the persecuted church is a huge challenge. How do you, how do you survive the great fear of the terrible things that are happening? Uh, you, you can't, you know, you have to find the Lord in those times. And we come to him through our practice, through our knowledge of him. Then we hold fast to his promises, so we have to know them. Right, And then there's the wound of offense, and it could be a wound of pride, right? Wounds are pride, and we, we, are, we take offense to something that happens in the church or especially in the church, or maybe a perception of injustice that happens that takes us out, and we think we just throw our hands up in the air, and we, we don't want to do the work because we're wounded. Our pride is wounded in some way. Um, and then there's the wound of discouragement, right? Something didn't go as we planned, or um, we, we don't see the fruit we expected. Uh, maybe we we 
we think something should have happened and it didn't happen, or we, we don't have faith in ourselves, we don't believe we're good enough. And any kind of attack on discouragement can take us down. And then there's the wound of doubt, right? You doubt God's promises. You doubt what you heard. You hear the enemy's voice more than your your own promises that you have in your heart. And so we must train uh, so that in the day of battle, we don't react with our feelings, but with our spiritual training, like muscle memory. Remember Paul's description of spiritual warfare in 2 Corinthians 10, uh, starting in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And these are the attacks of the enemy, not the physical. It's how we handle it. It's how we react to it. It's it's not the actions themselves is what our mind does with them. Can we do a judo move with our knowledge of God, with with the promises? Can we hold fast in our mind? And so next week, we're going to look at these weapons. We're going to study and know the word. Hide it in our hearts like arrows in our quiver that Jesus can pull out and shoot down the attacks on our mind. And we're going to learn to worship all the time, praise him and know the songs that lift us up high above the earth, high into a spiritual plane where we come into a secret pavilion. And we pray without ceasing, seeking him desperately now to guard your steps, your heart, your mind, and to lead you, to prepare the way before you, to go ahead and break down strongholds and to know him even when you can't sense his presence, right? These are the weapons. And we must train now for the day of adversity is already upon us and it will only escalate. Many souls, brothers and sisters, are counting on us to persevere, to build our portion of the wall for his kingdom. And until next time, may God bless you all. Join Wendy Scott every Saturday at 3 p.m. on K-Praise for another episode of Season Watch. Previous episodes can be found through the K-Praise podcast platform, where you can also access Wendy's other platforms and contact links. Please email Wendy with show comments, questions, or suggestions at wscott at mywordsforhim.com or visit her website at mywordsforhim.com for additional resources. Watch other teachings on her Rumble channel. Wendy's Words for Him, her fiction novel, The Lost, A Story of Christmas, can be found on Amazon. Until next week, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.